Hello everyone, welcome back to Gamer's Gambit episode, this is episode 3, right? Yeah, this is episode 3. I was thought I was losing my mind for a second there, because I'm like, okay, it's episode 4, wait, no. Casual Martial Artist is up to episode 4, and I know we're not in the 200s yet, but where geekery in general is. Can you tell it's been one of those types of weeks so far, and it's only Monday as we're recording this? Oh yeah. You know, I was I was thinking the other day, it's like, you know, another name we could have had for this podcast was the A&W podcast, you know, for like Alan Wayne, but like <laughs> then people might have thought it was about root beer and not video games. Exactly. Well, then we might get a copyright strike on that one. Yeah, that's true. But so this is going to be the last episode of 2018 and got some uh, fun stories to talk about today. But uh, let's take a moment uh, since it's almost christmas the time we're recording this uh this episode may drop before or after i'm not sure when i'm going to drop it but so when you were growing up uh did you ever ask for video games very much for christmas or is it something that you know pretty much your parents just gave you the money and let you buy whatever you want or you earned the money and then you know bought whatever you wanted that way uh my parents as you know, we're a little bit strange, so there was no earning of money in my house because I would never be good enough at any of the chores that would be done. Um, <laughs> so it was hard to earn any money, so I would just pretty much ask because, yeah, you never had money of your own, really, to to spend. Okay, so have you ever got – are there any games you've ever gotten as Christmas presents that, you know, really stuck out with you or – uh, really bring back fond memories? Not really, to be honest. Um, I can't really remember that far back. I'm too old, apparently, because um, I can't remember if the Super Nintendo was a Christmas present, because then I definitely know Super Mario World pu- pu- taking that out for a spin the first time around and having an enjoyable time with that, and I think that was a a Christmas present there. Yeah, because there is one game that always reminds me of Christmas. Archon for the NES. Because uh, I remember back when, I don't, I think I was in middle school at the time, but I remember, uh, you know, the uh, getting that as a Christmas present one year. And other than that, when I was growing up, I never really got video games much as Christmas gifts. Uh, when I, after I got married though, that's when my wife got me into X, you know, we got an Xbox and then, um, couple, then eventually I got an Xbox 360 as a Christmas gift. And then an Xbox one as a Christmas gift. Are you seeing a pattern here? Somebody Um, likes Xbox. (laughs) Yeah. And actually these were all my wife's idea and my wife never really was much of a video game player. So I don't know why she decided to go with those games, but yeah, other than that, the other game that always remind two other games that always remind me of Christmas, because these were three, three, do I hear three? Because <laughs> like, I remember the first, when we first got uh, our Xbox, uh, our, our first Xbox, one of the first games I got there was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. When we got the Xbox 360, I think... Uh, first game we got with that was the connect adventures because we got it 
you know, we got the Xbox 360 when the Kinect came out. And then when the uh, Xbox, when we got our Xbox One, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. So those games always always remind me a little bit of Christmas. But So, so here's a question for you since you me- mentioned the Kinect. So how long for you did it take to kind of get... I won't say sick of the connect or how 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 long did it take to lose the illusion that the connect was awesome or are you still kind of like that was a good piece of technology um 5 maybe 10 minutes okay <laughs> yeah cuz I never really got into it they didn't really have any titles for the connect that I was personally interested in the only one I was thinking maybe was the Star Wars Connect game they made. Um, my son, because we he was a bit he was a uh, younger when we got it, and there were two games that he enjoyed for it: uh, Connectimals, and then the other one was uh, some Carnival games where you know it was okay. I mean, but like I said, yeah, the Connect just never did it for me. I think it's because. I don't know. I've heard mixed things about it. I guess some of the games for the Connect weren't that bad, and then there were some where it's like it would have played. It would. It just would have been better to make the game with a controller. So, what about you? Have you ever had much experience with the Connect? So I'm going to be sad, as a sad man is, and admit to my fascination with the. Even though I can't do very well at it, uh, the Dance Dance Revolution, and the Connect had a game, Dance Central for the actual thing, uh, for the Connect, that, you know, it was fun, and I went over to a friend's house because I never bought it because I didn't like the the concept of the Connect. Um, but, you know, we had some fun with the Dance Central games. But my thought on it always was, unlike the Wii, for the motion controls and the even to some extent the PS Move, the Connect was missing agency, player agency. There's only so much movement you can do in front of a camera to where you're not involved uh, haptically, you know what I mean, with a controller or whatnot, that I thought that was the biggest downfall of the Kinect was, yeah, it's fun for a little while to be in front of the camera, you know what I mean, and do stuff. But because there's no tactile response to any of the games you're missing, you know, kind of a player agency input that, you know, most games have that make games fun. Yeah, that's true. I can I can definitely see what you're saying there. And, I mean, when, when my son, he was really little, so he just liked being able to play with the virtual animals. Um, so, and then I said Carnival Games was okay. I mean, it was kind of a fun game to play around with every now and then. But other than that, yeah, it just never grabbed my attention. They never, they never released that... You know, with the exception of that Star Wars Connect, which I never got around to playing, they didn't really, yeah, they just didn't really make anything that was, that I thought was interesting. So, on to our topics for today. So, first, Mortal Kombat 11, the announcement trailer, uh, dropped not too long ago. Now, when it comes to street fighting games, well, first, were you ever much into the fighting game genre, or was that one that just kind of passed you by? That's another one where I pretty much suck at them, but I've loved Street Fighter. I love Marvel vs. Capcom. Um, 
just the uh, never got into uh, Tekken, but you know, like Battle Arena Toshinden and um, some of the others. So yeah, the Mortal Kombat's were also another one that you know really like them. Not good at them, but I do like them. Yeah, because when it comes, I was a I was a fighting game fan back in the day. I'd have to say my favorites were probably Street Fighter 2 and Fatal Fury 2. Uh, Samurai Showdown, I enjoyed that one. Honestly, Mortal Kombat, I never really got into it because I always thought the control felt stiff. But I have to say, as far as story goes, Mortal Kombat had a much better developed story, I think, than Street Fighter did, especially back in the day. So, did you have a chance to watch the trailer? I did, yes. And I thought it looked really good. And I've seen a couple of videos where people were breaking down, you know, kind of like analyzing frame by frame. And, you know, they were talking about the... And one of the things they caught at the end is that there's this hints of this new character. There was a woman, at least I think it looked like a woman, standing next to an hourglass and they showed the sands flowing up instead of down. And also in the trailer, we had two different versions of Sub-Zero appearing his newer appearance, and then his classic appearance. So apparently this is going. the story mode for this game is going to have a time, somewhat of a time travel theme. So given what you know of the Mortal Kombat mythology and storyline, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know what to think of that, actually, for the time travel aspect, because I heard there was a, a visage, or at least somebody said that you could see Shao Kahn in there. So could it be that somebody wants Shao Kahn to win instead of the you know Earth winning, or is it, um, you know what I mean, a concept of maybe you know in one of the universes the Earth lost and they want to you know rectify that situation? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, because I think it's interesting how they're doing the story because uh, again you go back to Mortal Kombat Nine, it takes place right at the start uh, or at the end. Of Mortal Kombat Armageddon. And I have to give NetherRealm Studios credit. I thought Mortal Kombat 9 was an interesting way to reboot the series. Because, yeah, yeah, you're restarting the series, but technically you're not really kicking the, you know, the, the first eight games out of continuity. And, you know, it's just that Raiden, you know, went back and messed up time. So I did like the story for episode or not episode, uh, for Mortal Kombat 9, where they did some different things, like, you know, where where Sub-Zero became a cyborg in this one, and Smoke stayed human. Um, So I did like that. And I I, so I think what they're going to be doing is they're going to be playing around with that aspect where, and I think you were kind of hinting at this, where maybe Raiden was intended to lose, and for some reason, Shao Kahn was supposed to win that you know everything at the end of Armageddon. Now I was uh, also watching another video, and I think this sounds interesting. There's talk of making a web series called "The Science of Mortal Kombat," where they're going to attempt to recreate some of the moves in real life. Now, have you heard about that, or that one? I had not. The last time I heard that there was, a, and I don't remember. I didn't watch it, but there was a live-action series I thought on YouTube. Um, for the Mortal Kombat. Uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat Rebirth. I've seen a couple episodes of it. The one with Raiden was interesting. Uh, I also saw the one with Sector and Cyrax. 
Uh, so yeah, there was, that was supposed to be an attempt to reboot the series, except taking a more realistic and grounded approach. Um, though the Raiden's ones is, isn't the Raiden one is interesting because again, they do kind of imply that, you know, he is somehow really this godlike character. So I think it would be just as someone who studied martial arts, I think it is interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm sure of course, sir. Probably not going to try to recreate the fata- the fatalities, though I suppose they, <laughs> I suppose they could try on like you know the ballistic gel dummies, like, um you know maybe try to rig up you know like Liu Kang not Liu Kang Kung Lao you know one of his fatalities involves the hat, and how yeah. okay how might he like they could take maybe a ballistic gel dummy and try to rig up like a a steel rimmed hat and think okay how much pounds of pressure would be needed to use a metal rimmed hat to cut someone in half like that and occasionally if you do go to youtube there are videos where people have tried to analyze street fighting moves uh like matt pat from game theory uh he had one where he he did on the us uh, uh what was her name sindel and her sonic scream and then he also did one where he was taking a look at uh chun lee's spinning bird kick you know, where she jumps up and she flips upside down and it's like, okay, in order to do this technique, how much force would it deliver and how much strength or force would she need to be able to perform that technique in real life? Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm probably, I, again, I'm going to admit, I don't really play the Mortal Kombat games, but I do enjoy watching the story modes on YouTube. So after a few days after it comes out, I'll probably go uh, looking for the the YouTube videos of the story mode. Probably not going to run out and get the game. What about you? Uh, dep- depends on the day, to be honest with you. Most likely, like you were saying, not something that I'm going to be going out and getting right away. Um, only depends if I find anybody who wants to play it, you know what I mean, with me and who I know is not going to just rub in that they're better than me. <laughs> Because I'm a poor player. It's like, oh, this is getting old. (laughs) Yeah, that's. it does suck when you're playing against someone who's a lot better than you and they're just like, you know, spamming moves on you and it's like, dude, I haven't even had a chance to throw a punch yet. Exactly. Uh, The old old Street Fighter, they get you in a corner and just low kick for five (laughs) five minutes where you're like, how do I get out? How do I get out? Yep. (laughs) Next order of business. Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 has been announced, and surprise, surprise, this one is going to focus on Thanos and the Infinity Stones. Now, this is this is actually what surprised me. I don't know if you had a chance to read the article I sent you or not, but it's going to yeah. be exclusive to the Switch. Which is strange to me, because the other ones came out for both PS3, I believe, and Xbox 360. So, and I think they even uh, redid it for um, PS4 and uh, the Xbox One, so that it's exclusive. I'm not sure. Did it say if it was a timed exclusive or just a exclusive forever type of deal? I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm sure they would probably do it as just a timed exclusive, especially if it turns out like you know as as it really, especially if it turns out really well. Now, have you played any of the Ultimate Alliance games? Yeah, I, I played both of them, and they were I didn't beat either of them, but they were very fun, and they were actually pretty good 
multiplayer games. Like if you had a group of friends together, the only thing where it kind of didn't fit was when um, somebody would go off screen and then you had to try to go find them. But I think that's a problem with any multiplayer game is that, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now where are you? Yeah, because uh, I've played, I've played both of them. I've beaten the first Ultimate Alliance. I haven't beaten the second one. I, I actually didn't get very far in that one. I get to like the second scenario, and there's like some bomb, and I just can't seem to find, you know, find a way to beat the stage fast enough. But now I did. Now I know there were a couple of the the prequel games to that, or the well, not really necessary prequels, but they were done in the same style. X-Men Legends and X-Men Legends 2. I did play X-Men Legends 2, and I enjoyed it, though I'd have to say that one of the reasons I liked Ultimate Alliance so much is I think it really took a lot of the cool things about the first one, and it just amped it up, and they also introduced some new worthwhile features that, now I don't remember if they did them in the second one, but I hope they bring it back in the third. As you might recall in... uh, in x-men legends you uh, if you had certain combinations of characters it would create a certain type of team like for example if you had rogue colossus nightcrawler and wolverine in your party at the same time the party was called you know new uh new x-men because you know they were the new x-men introduced after the original five were being phased out and you know they got a special bonus but what I really liked about Ultimate Alliance is you could make your own team. And then as you played the game with those those four characters, you could unlock certain bonuses. So I really enjoyed that feature. Like I said, I don't remember if they had that in number two or not. I don't remember either. I know the main thing that I liked about them was that, um, and hopefully I'm not remembering the wrong game, uh, but actually going out and doing levels and all of a sudden being able to play a new character or bring another person into that um, team as you would, you know what I mean, play through the game. That you'd unlock people through gameplay. And I thought that was kind of cool that it was just like, all right. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I've played both. Because I think... Because I, as I recall with Ultimate Alliance 1, for the only time you were limited is like through partly through the first mission. You were limited to just Thor, uh, Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. And then after you got to a certain point, then you could swap out. I know Blade was a hidden character. Uh, Deadpool, no, Deadpool's only a hidden character in the, an unlockable character in the first one. I'm sorry, in X-Men Legends. Two and in also in X Men Legends two you can unlock Iron Man, and I know there's another hidden character in uh, Ultimate Alliance one. I just can't think of it right now. So, all in all, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably check it out. And again, it just doesn't surprise me that they're doing the Infinity Stones because that that's going to be what's really big in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next few months. I do definitely agree with that. And, you know, it's a – now, here's the question, though. Are they going to use the movie story or are they going to use the original comic story? That's a good question. It wouldn't surprise me if they just did an own, their, its own original story 
Because I used to have the Infinity uh, Gauntlet comics, and you know, it's just I when I got out of comic collecting, I probably sold them to the local half price books for like a dollar or two each, and I'm sure they're worth quite a bit now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's you know, it's like. <sighs> You know, that's the thing. It's like we look back at some of the toys and comic books and stuff we had when we were kids, and it's like, you know, we probably never thought that that stuff would actually be worth money someday if we kept it in good condition. Well, just think of our parents. Just think of our parents, oh, yeah. too, in the way of think of because I've told you that story about the last, uh, you know, die cast metal Optimus Prime at the Gimbal store. Just think if they would have known, yeah, one day that's going to be worth about ten, twenty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so they would have might have bought one for themselves. <laughs> that is true. It's yeah, if I could go back in time, I would tell my younger self, okay, try to get mom and dad to either keep your toys in really good condition or keep them in the boxes cuz also in Star Wars figures too, it's like one of the more rare ones is that the medical droid from Empire Strikes Back. I used to have that figure. Oh, and goodness. now it's like worth a few hundred dollars out of the box. And I mean, even some of the other video games we grew up with, with for the Super Nintendo, uh, like, I mean, Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger, our local book, Half Price Books, they've got a copy of Chrono Trigger in the box. And I assume they probably have the manual and have it complete, but they're selling it for like two, three hundred bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, one of the things I, I don't remember if I ever told you, but um, I used to do you know online role playing through a, something called mushing, and there was this guy I knew who apparently had all like I don't know if like the special edition ones, but all the actual action figures and toys for the complete collection of the original Star Wars toys. And he had all of them, one in the, sealed in plastic in, in his parents' attic, and then one that he used to, to play with them. And he's like, if I were to sell all that, he was like, I could get a pretty, a pretty penny. And I was like, how many, how many parents would think of doing that? You know what I mean? Not only getting their kids, you know, one set, but two sets of the, you know, all these action figures and all these, you know, you know, ships and whatnot. Uh, probably ones that maybe realize that these toys can have a uh, decent value someday. So that or ones that have enough money that not only do they realize that these toys are going to be valuable, but who also realize, you know, also have enough money to you know, actually buy two sets of toys, so... Exactly. Well, moving on, uh, next, we've got, next order of business, the PlayStation Classic that we talked about in our first episode. And, surprise, surprise, hackers have found a way to hack it already. And it doesn't supposedly even take that much effort. Yeah, because I was reading the, I was reading an article about it, and they were saying that the uh, problem that the mistake that Sony made is they put the key, the like the authentication authentication key, right in the game's code, and they don't, they, it doesn't require a signature check in the in the, the the code. So now it is possible apparently to run games off of a USB stick in on the PlayStation Classic. Now I'm. The article I read didn't say how well they would work, but what are your thoughts on that, that 
less than a week after it's released, already hackers have found a way to mess with it. To be honest with you, it always happens. The saving grace from this is that the everything I've heard at the PlayStation Classic is a hot mess. Um, it's just, you know what I mean? The, they use the wrong format for the for the actual games on your TV, since we don't live in Europe for the PAL format. They um, aren't the best uh, versions of the games that they could have put on there. Um, it's just, like I said, with this, it actually gives you at least a little hope of putting games that look good, you know what I mean, on there and getting to the settings to possibly do a better you know, job than Sony actually did, you know, in getting this thing done and technically if Sony might be smart, you know, maybe they could release a USB stick, you know what I mean? Next year, just going, here's the PlayStation classic Two. just, you know, here's the instructions to load these new games on it or to play these new games and, you know, try to maybe cash in a little bit. Yeah. I, it's hard to say what they're going to do. I mean, and again, I guess the question arises, okay, so then in a you know a year or so are they going to you know release an entirely new PlayStation Classic 2 you know are they going to release a new you know unit that's going to be PS2 or are they just going to do something with like uh you know as you said with like a USB stick or something you can plug in and use that to play the games so i don't know i think it's kind of funny i figured it would take longer i mean you think sony would get would be a bit more careful with it but maybe they just realized that, or maybe the reason they did such a, you know, poor job at the security is they figure that, well, most, you know, some of the people out there who are, you know, have played these games already, if they don't already have their original, you know, PlayStation, they probably just emulate it on their computers. And, you know, most people aren't going to go through the trouble of, you know, hacking it because, of course, whenever you hack, uh, you know, a, a, a game console like that, there's always a chance you're going to brick it. And yeah. I, I know when people tried doing that with the Wii, that, that was a big problem. And then, of course, you're out like 100 bucks. But I don't know. Because uh, we haven't gotten a, P, a PlayStation Classic yet. I don't know if my wife's parents are getting it for my son and I as a Christmas gift. So time will tell on that. But, I mean, I don't know enough to go in and hack it. So if... I do get it. I'll probably just leave it as leave it as it is. Well, from what I understand, the only thing you really have to do is plug in a USB <laughs> keyboard. It just has to be the right USB keyboard. I mean, that's not even hacking at that point. That's just you know being curious and finding out if something like that would work. Do I have the ability to plug in a keyboard, and what will it do? <laughs> See, I wonder. Like, I wonder why they put the USB uh, port in that anyway. I mean, I the think controllers. The, I think the controllers are USB, okay. aren't they? I, I don't know. That would, it would make sense. I mean, and that actually wouldn't be too bad if the controllers were USB because then, you know, if you play games on like Steam or, or BlueStack, you know, you can do, you know, you can use that for it as well. Yeah. So next story, uh, not too long ago, they released the prequel game to Hello Neighbor. Now, have you gotten into the Hello Neighbor game at all? I mean, I know it's been pretty big on YouTube with uh playthroughs and again also game theory they've done a few uh you know videos on that where uh you know they they've done their different theories what are your take what's your take on that i mean have you played hello neighbor uh is it a game that you're thinking of going out and trying 
Maybe on I haven't I have not because stealth is usually my one place where um, that's usually automatic fail in those games. I like trying them out, but maybe I'll try it out on a Steam sale or something. But this is one of those that I'm kind of not aware of. It looks like it's going to be interesting um, yeah. from the box art. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say when I watched the trailer, it did strike somewhat of an emotional chord. And it wasn't just the music they were playing, but I think it was because uh, when Hello Neighbor was in its like pre-release stage, uh, again going back to the game theorist, the game theorist channel, uh, Matt Pat did a show where he was talking about how the the Hello Neighbor game and the character in there, the neighbor, um, might actually it might actually be a modern retelling of Faust, and there's some evidence that the you know the 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 neighbor guy may have actually he might be in some kind of deal with the devil and there's another theory that you know the and again this may or may not be true because i haven't played hello neighbor i haven't you know i haven't really gone out of my way to watch any of the videos on it but another one of the theories is that maybe he's trying to protect his children and his family from some sort of evil you know force or entity and that's why his house is full of traps so that's why when I, I saw it where they were, it was almost showing the neighbor as being a, you know, a loving father figure, where that's where I guess it kind of struck that emotional chord where now it's like, maybe I'm not going to run out and get the games, but I think I want to, I might go out and at least look for the, the playthrough video so I can kind of get an idea of the story that's going on there. Yeah, and that that's one of the reasons I love YouTube, to be honest with you. If you don't have time or you don't necessarily have all the interest or all the things to a game, you can at least experience some of it through through those Let's Plays. Um, and I think that's kind of awesome to be able to do. Yeah, and this might be one of those topics for another day, but, you know, the the whole idea of video games is art and how, you know, they are starting to become somewhat of an art form now with the you know the fact that uh they do you know they are telling better stories i think and like i said just watching that trailer it did strike that emotional note with me because i'm thinking okay uh there's this this video i saw that's implying that he might you know first that he might be he may have made a pact with the devil but then there's another theory that he's trying to protect his family from the devil and now we're just showing him as this like you know this uh you know, father figure type character. So what happened between that game and the Hello Neighbor game that, you know, caused things to happen the way they did? So, like I said, it should be interesting to at least go out and look at some of those videos. Oh, definitely. We're also approaching the 25th anniversary of Doom. Now, this is not a franchise I have a lot of familiarity with. I was never into first-person shooters. I get lost, and also with some of the newer ones, everything just moves so fast I get too dizzy watching or looking around. I did play the shareware version of Doom, but I haven't played any of the other games beyond that. What about you? Uh, same same thing, really. Um, never been too much of a Doom. Played the Doom 1, Doom 2, the kind of remake of Doom that was so awesome. Um I did like it because it had the real horror aspect. Um, I don't know whether it was critically well-received or not, because I do think it had a few technical kind of difficulties and all that, but um, didn't the new Doom, at least for the demo, 
that just came out was a little too fast, a little too arcadey for me. So I wasn't able to really do too well in that one. So the article I read, it was saying that John Romero, um, he is releasing several new stages for free. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and then, however, you do need a registered copy of the original version, 1993 version. Uh, also, of course, they're doing a couple different um, sets that'll have extra goodies, including the soundtrack by a, a heavy metal band called Buckethead, which I'm assuming because wasn't Buckethead, isn't he like the get current guitarist for Guns N' Roses? That I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's some weird guy. He would like wear a mask and he'd wear a like a KFC bucket on his head and a rain slicker. And it's like uh, on stage, I'm like, dude, he must be really sweaty in that raincoat. I'd imagine, yeah. No, I've yeah. never seen too much, uh, too much of that. So, and I don't follow music too well to know the actual, you know, people in it. But I think it is uh, significant, though, that they are doing something to commemorate the 25th anniversary of Doom, because you know it did leave an it did leave a mark on you know popular culture and the video game industry. I might be wrong on this, but I think that Doom was probably, I mean, it probably wasn't the first first-person shooter, but it was probably the one that, you know, really helped kicked off the, you know, kick off the the trend. And that was probably because of, again, back in the days, we you know, we mentioned, I mentioned how I played the shareware version. This is how people would just dis- use to distribute games before high-speed internet became really popular. You know, you would have shareware, which... You know, just, uh, and I think we talked a little bit about this when we were discussing the freemium game model where, you know, you would get the, the floppy disk and it would have like the first few levels. And then once you got to like a certain level, you could pay if you wanted to unlock the rest of the game. Now, of course, one of the other problems with Doom is not all of the attention attracted was positive yes so like i mean what when and sounds like you probably know where i'm going with this oh yeah because you know there were people that were claiming that oh this i mean i don't think with doom i don't think people were going after the the demonic imagery as much in the game but there was the whole because you know of course remember uh back in the columbine shootings and uh you know that there were all sorts of rumors going around that because, uh, uh, again, I don't know if Doom is the first computer game that did it, but, you know, it had a really big modding community. Yeah. Um. So one of the rumors was that the Columbine shooters had created, like, Doom levels of their, of their uh, school and used that to, like, do practices of, you know, the, of the, the massacre that they would go on to commit. So, I don't know. I, I mean... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, by the by, the time the Columbine thing happened, though, the the main thing wasn't the demonology type hell aspect. I don't think of Doom. It was just the violence and the blood, uh, especially with like the chainsaw and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people were very against it at that time because throughout the throughout the nineties, I mean, especially in the PS2 era, which was directly after that. But people constantly, I think even today, still question whether violence in video games actually causes violence in the real world 
And I thought, and you'd have to, you know, correct me on this one, but I thought the Columbine shooters actually did put that they may have got, you know, when they were live, mind you, in their letter or whatnot, did think like doom and stuff like that for some of the things that they either taught them to do or be okay with or something like that, or they acknowledged doom in some way. That I don't know. I mean, I know that the, uh, again, this is one of those urban legends of video games. Uh, the One of the shooters, and it may have been both, I don't remember, but I know one of them did make some levels. But people have found those levels and played them, and they're nothing like the high school. So as far as whether they acknowledge Doom for this, I don't think that that had any real say in it and i mean i said i might be wrong on that too but i'm pretty sure that them playing doom wasn't you know what pushed them over the edge to do what they did and i i mean i know it's been really ever since around the the time of mortal Kombat, that's when psychologists really started to look in the the psychological impact of violence in video games and from what I can recall, because I had um, I had uh, to correct one of my friends on Facebook. He had posted, there's, after school shootings or mass shootings, there's this picture that goes around every now and then. And it's like, there's a kid playing some violent video game. And, uh, you know, parents are like, gee, I wonder where he gets, you know, where peep kids are getting these violent ideas. And it's supposed to imply that you know, playing violent video games makes kids violent. And I actually had to correct him because the the American Psycho- Psychological Association has done like about a 20-year study where they found that people who play violent video games are no more likely to commit crimes or acts of violence than people who don't play violent video games. So that's one thing. And what always pisses me off to no end is people saying, oh, well, they're learning how to shoot from video games. F- no. No. Just, just, f- no. I'm sorry. That's like yeah. saying play, playing Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter 2 is going to make you a good martial artist. No. Bull****. If you want to become a good martial artist and an you know, experienced and a good fighter, you go to the dojo, you train your ass off and you take some lessons you know you you practice just playing you know just playing a street fighter game isn't going to turn you into the next chuck norris or hoist gracie just like playing violent video games or shooter up specifically isn't going to make you an expert marksman so i'm sorry it just just pisses me off to no end when i hear people you know go on about how video games you know they're teaching kids how to become mass murderers no you yeah no most the problem the problem is is, and i totally agree with that i knowing that i've played enough games and i'm not anywhere near a better shot with anything i've got no extra skills from video games you know that's just how it goes you know sadly enough anybody who's living in that world and the thing is is i think they've done multiple studies and each study says no, it does not cause anyone to become more violent after after playing violent video games. It does not cause any of these things that they're saying that it causes. Yeah, because, and again, I think this was the con- one of the conclusions from the cycle, um, the APA study. But whenever someone goes out and commits an act of violence, 
vast majority of the time there's some there's either one or more other factors and that cause them to, to snap and go out and do what they do but video games has never as far as i know video games has never been a reason no one has been like hey i just played uh you know mortal kombat for you know, it's seven hours straight. Now I'm going to go down to the local mall and I'm going to try to rip people's heads off and throw fireballs at them. You know, so yeah, it's usually other things. You know, it's depression, it's mental illness, uh, drug abuse. Uh, in some cases, it's, you know, they're mo they're motivated by religion or politics or, you know, other societal factors. But anyways. Or, or it is, or really, it's the fact that, they had issues before they started playing video games that were, you know, we do have a, a large bit of, you know, the U.S. having a good stigma on depression and any other kind of mental illness that, you know what I mean? It can go undiagnosed or, you know, nobody can pay attention to it. And sadly, these are the things that happen when, you know, mental illness goes untreated. You know, and good, you make a good point about how there being this stigma uh, with, uh, you know, with mental illness because they're often called invisible illnesses because, you know, someone can look perfectly fine and feel physically fine. It's just that, you know, if they have a mental illness, there's something going on with them. Um, now, of course, mental illness isn't the, you know, cause for all people snapping and shooting. And um, from what I understand, it's mentally ill people actually are more likely to become the victim of a violent crime than actually go out yeah. and commit it. But it does, you know, it, it can happen. But anyways, to go back to what I was saying, and there's this comic that goes around Facebook every now and then that really, I think, sums it up. It's like, what if we treated other diseases the way we treat mental illness? And it had people saying things like, Oh, Bob and that cancer of his. Some people will take any excuse to get out of work. And, uh, you know, someone with another one was like, Oh, you have diabetes? Have you ever just tried telling your body not to have diabetes? And so, uh, exactly. I, I think we got a little bit off the point, but yeah, it's, it's a very serious subject. And, you know, it's not one that, you know, I know we usually talk a lot about on, on the shows I do. So, yeah. well. On to a happier subject, mm. Pokemon Go. Uh, so this is a game that both of us play. And uh, again, saw an article on GameSpot not too long ago that uh, Pokemon Go is gotten, it's finally gotten more popular than it was when it first came out. Now, let's take a trip down memory lane. When did you first start get playing Pokemon Go? Now, did you start when it began or did it take you a little while to get into it took me a little while it wasn't until friends actually said you know this is actually a very cool you know little game that they have you just walk around you collect pokemon you don't have to spend any money on it and you know i had seen it you know what i mean and i had a another friend who actually played the i forget what the name of it but the game that this is based off of and he would, you know, play that all the time, going downtown and walking around. So once it came out, you know, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to play it until a couple other people started playing it, and, you know, and it was like we could compare what Pokemon we had and, you know, and actually, you know, go around together and collect Pokemon every once in a while. Yeah, and because we started, I think, like about two days or so after it came out, 
I saw a friend of mine post about it on Facebook, and my son was really into the, you know, the Pokemon game, so I figured I'd try to get him into it, and, you know, we enjoyed it, because uh, I remember for the those first couple months after it came out, it was everywhere around here, and, uh, you know, because it's like almost every day, if the weather was decent, my son's like, let's go out and play Pokemon Go, and which I totally encouraged, because I remember I took him to a nature center, and... You know, usually when I take him to nature centers to just like walk around, he wants to go home after about 10, 15 minutes. But that, you know, that first, that day after it first, we first started playing it, you know, we spent over an hour there and he never complained, never said he wanted to go home. So I know, and I remember, and I know I've talked about this on Geekery in general, because, you know, uh, Houdini Plaza in downtown here. Yeah. When, did you ever see that place after the game first came out? actually go in or just yeah or go just gone by it one of the either way i i remember going by it and i was surprised going by it at night with my friends uh that came back from minnesota and i remember all the different colored lights and everything and it was a totally different experience than what i had remembered yeah and because i said when i remember when it first came out you go to by a uh, houdini plaza and it's like there would be you know, probably at least a hundred people there if it was a decent night, you know, just sitting there talking and playing Pokemon Go. So it was a lot of fun. And um, now, unfortunately, we started to get out of it around, I think, September, October. I think part of it was just the kids getting, you know, getting back to school and then the change of the weather. So I don't know. It was really fun while it lasted, but then we got out of it for a little while. So we, we I think like a lot of people, we had that phase out where, you know, we're playing every day for, you know, two, three hours. Then we're playing, you know, maybe every other day for an hour. And then it gets to the point where, you know, we're maybe doing it once or twice a week. So, and then you just kind of forget about it. So what brought Pokemon Go back for you? Uh, I never necessarily stopped, to be honest with you. But mind you, I didn't go out as much i just randomly check it you know um i'd randomly go one of the big things now though is one of the biggest problems with pokemon go i think that everybody's noticed and wouldn't have taken niantic very much to fix but it's their uh gps is kind of broken <laughs> in some ways um so when they did the i have an iphone and they actually made this thing called adventure mode so it goes with I, uh, Apple Health, and it actually tracks on uh, the pedometer on there of how far you travel now. So anywhere I walk, it actually registers now on Pokemon Go, where before, you know, you were kind of at the mercy of the bad GPS system that it has. Now, do you know, does that Adventure Sync mode, does that work if you're on, like, a treadmill? Yes. Oh, cool. I'll have to try to check that out. <laughs> but, yeah, because uh, I think... I forgot how we got back into it after we stopped playing it for a while. I think what happened is, like, I just, like, would check, do it occasionally, just go back in. And then that's when I noticed they started introducing these new features. You know, the friends, giving gifts to your friends. But I think what really brought it back for me, and this is probably... I mean, the decline, I think, was just caused by they weren't releasing new content fast enough. Um, you know, so they really weren't giving you the reason to play it every day. But now, of course, you get the login bonus, or, well, not necessarily the login bonus, but 
you know, every day, if you, you get a bonus, if you catch at least one Pokemon and get at least one Pokestop. So that really think, I think helped. Now, what do you think of the quests and stuff that they, and the field research they introduced? I could take it or leave it sometimes. I I don't do any raiding. I don't really do, uh, like, what are the quests that I have right now? Yeah, um, like, I, I know the one I have right now is, uh, I have to, like, do a super effective uh, charge technique during a gym battle. Yeah, and, like, for me, I don't go do gym battles. So it's like, that's going to be like, so when is that going to happen? Like, what's the other one? I've got to figure out and go to eight Pokestops that I haven't visited before. And I'm like, so where am I going to go for that? <laughs> See, I actually like that when they do that because it, it forces... Because, you know, again, the original intention of the game was to go out and explore. So it does force you to go out and try to find new stops. And another thing I like about it is how there have been some of the, the programs that have people have made to support it. Uh, like my wife has an app on her phone. I think it's called like Discord. And there's a message board on that where if you're looking for raids, you know, you can post, hey, is anyone, you know, someone might be like, okay, I'm going to do a raid at the gas station down on the corner of First and Main Street. Anyone want to join me? And, uh, you know, so it's a lot of fun. And we've actually met some, you know, interesting people and some, you know, cool people just by going out and doing these raids. So... I think trading also really helped, but yeah, the fact that now you have an incentive to play the game every day, I think that's what really helped bring the game back because now you have a way to invest yourself in the game again. Yeah, no, I definitely do agree with that because uh, it is nice to be able to work towards that weekly or month, you know, that weekly goal or that daily goal of what can I do, you know what I mean, to get to the next um, whatchamacallit, you know, the next goal. Yeah. And, you know, of course, when they, I think they've, you know, they've, they've introduced more, uh, you know, regions. So that's helpful because just only being able to catch Rattatas and Caterpies gets boring really fast. <laughs> there was a time that I couldn't find, like, I, I actually had to change. I went from an Android phone to a normal phone or from a Apple phone to an Android phone, and then back to, uh, no, Apple to Android, and then back to Apple. So I had all these Pokemon on my Apple phone, or Android phone, which now I can't find at all anymore. (laughs) It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to be doing that anymore. (laughs) So, and, and then now with the, they introduced the, uh, let's go pokey, you know, was it let's go Eevee and let's go Pikachu where it's designed to work in conjunction with Pokemon go. So I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, no. And I've been interested. Have you picked up that at all for the let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee? Yeah, we, we do have it. Um, my wife plays the let's go Pikachu and my son plays the let's go Eevee. And it's interesting because, you know, they've got the Pokeball as the controller now. And then, uh, you know, it's it's like Pokemon Go where you do it. You do like the simulated throws to catch the Pokemon. And you can have um, one thing that's kind of cool is it's got the drop in, drop out co-op style of play. Um, so, you know, someone so if like my son's playing or my wife's playing, you know, one of us can, dro- you know, jump in and join them and then drop out if we need to go do something else. And they also have special bonuses, like if you can 
if uh, both of you are you know you are attacking the Pokemon, if you both hit the same time, it uh, you know you get a special bonus for that. But but it was actually kind of funny how you know I how we were talking about how Pokemon kind of became fell out of the mainstream or fell out of the public eye for a while. One of the things I do like that they introduced was were the community days. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I remember you asking me one day, and now that I work weekends, it's like you know, it's interesting. But I do, since I I do work right downtown now, it is interesting to be on the weekends during the community day, just opening up my Pokemon Go and just being surrounded by everybody playing and yeah. just having tons more stuff going on, you know, than would be normal. It's just amazing some days. Yeah, and it's funny. It's like one day during one community day. I was at a, a local coffee house downtown meeting some friends in a local gaming group. And this one guy's like, I, I guess he didn't really, he wasn't really familiar with Pokemon Go. He's like, why is everyone walking around outside looking at their phones? <laughs> and then we had to explain. And, you know, even now, every now and then when, you know, my wife and I are playing at downtown, people are like, oh, you guys doing a treasure or scavenger hunt or something? I know Pokemon Go. So... This brings us to the last section, our opinion section. So, uh, Wayne, you had the idea to do the, uh, for a topic for the opinion section. So lay it on me, man. All right. So today I just wanted to go over, and this is going to be a weird, different take than a lot of other people have. So we all know EA wins, you know, worst company ever award. You know, we all know, um, that EA is just kind of, you know, it's it's good and it's bad for the community. We'd like to say it's always bad, but, you know, they've done some good things, too. But at the end of the day, Jim Sterling came out with a kind of video online that pretty much says nowadays, you know, EA, Bethesda, uh, some of these companies that are there because of the invent investors, they can't be happy with just some of the money. They need to have all the money. They have to see, you know, twice as good results, you know, as they did last year. Everything has to do better. Everything has to be bigger. You know, if you don't have that, you're just not good enough. But my question for you today, and it comes from a place where we all know that EA has the basic rights to make any Star Wars game that they want. You know, they've got the total license for it. And what we also know is they canceled pretty much two games that were in development. They got, as far as I'm aware, and I need to be fact-checked on this, but the everything that had been done for a game called 1313 that was a single-player game that was critically acclaimed, and looked to be really good. Everybody was happy with it, but when they got the assets from Lucasfilm Studio, when it went down and they got the license for all this stuff, they just decided to scrap it and cancel it. Then they got, uh, I believe her name is Amy Hennig, who did the Uncharted series for PS4, which is an accla another acclaimed uh, series, to do the writing on a new Star Wars game. Well, they said... That's too single player. It can't be monetized. It can't be this. It can't be that. So we're going to cancel this game too. Um, then the multiplayer Battlefront 2, we all know what happened with that. And then now they have, um, 
I forget the name of the company, but they're making a new Star Wars game. They did the Titanfall and Titanfall 2, and they used to work on Call of Duty. But now they're doing a, a, a game. The question I have, though, is both those games, I don't know any Star Wars game that fails. You know what I mean? To sell copies. Both those games would have sold millions of copies. Both of those would make a huge amount of money. They might not have been able to be monetized. But why does EA not want that money? It's weird to me because, yeah, they're solo games. Yeah, you might not be able to put loot boxes into them. Yeah, you might not be able to get all the money. But you would have still sold millions of copies. You still would have made bank on these games where you put all that time and all that money into them, and now you're getting nothing for it. And I guess that's my question for you is, yeah, I understand that all the money isn't, you know what I mean? You want all the money, but why don't they want to make some of the money? (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that's a really good question. And, I mean, it's, I think part of it is, uh, because there's another podcast I listen to, uh, Lost in the Static, and, I mean, I don't listen to them as much anymore, but for some of their earlier episodes where they did talk a little bit about video games, on one episode, they were talking about the how video games have a fairly short tail, where you know a game might come out, it might you know sell a, a couple million units, and then it starts to go down and down. And of course, the problem. See, I think the problem is they they realize the potential income of these games that you know where you can constantly force DLC. Where you can do the loot crates, loot crates, and the, uh, you know, the the in, the in-app purchases and stuff. So they want to try to find a way to be profitable with the game for as long as they can. I, I mean, just as a good example, uh, but let's go back to Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic again. Uh, again, phenomenal game. Uh, as I recall, the only DLC they released for it was a free DLC, and it was just like another store somewhere on, I think, like Yavin 4. But once they... Well, actually, that's a bad example for me because I got that game used. We'll use <laughs> uh, Knights 2 Revenge of the Sith Lords. We got that game new. Okay. So I don't remember... I got it as a gift, so I'm not sure how much my wife paid for it. Probably around 40 bucks or so. Let's just say $40. Okay, so we we buy that game, and actually, again, this is a bad, probably a bad example, because you know, of course, just the way it works, you don't buy the game directly from the you know you, the, you, from the, the the company anymore. It's like you know you buy it from the store, and the store usually gets it from a distributor. But well, once we you know get that game, you know, once we got uh, Sith Lords, they're not making any more money off of that than from us anymore. So that's why I think they like the approach they've done with, like, I'll just say Battlefront 2, how, okay, it's not enough that we just bought the game, but because of the multiplayer and because of the, you know, the loot crates, they can continue to make money off of it, uh, even though we've already bought the game. And, I mean, I'm not sure, because, again, just going into the whole distribution model and stuff, I, I mean, I assume probably what they do is they sell the games to, like, a distributor, then the distributor sells it to the stores, and then the store, the retailers sell it to us. So, again, you've got that middleman. 
so let's say for, we get the game from GameStop, you know, just as an example. And I'm not sure how much Battlefront 2 cost when it first came out. Uh, what, probably about 60 Probably, yeah. Sounds okay. about right. So let's just say 60 is how much GameStop was selling for it new. So, I mean, they... I mean, just to guess, you know, they probably sell it to the distributor for maybe like, you know, 10 bucks each. And then the distributor sells it to, you know, 10, 15 bucks. And then the distributor sells it to, you know, GameStop for, I mean, I don't know, you know, 20, 30 each. And then now, of course, GameStop, they've just paid 20, 30 dollars for this game. They got to make more off of it. So they have to, of course, mark it up to 60. So they can make back the money for the game and then of course all the other business expenses they have to pay so you know if, if that's how how far a game went where the only way the game company is making money is by selling it to the distributors then how do they continue to make money after that and that's why i think they they've chosen to why they like that you know that those loot boxes and why they they're not happy with just making a really good game because you know, once they sell it to the distributor to get to the retailer, they're not really making much money off of it unless they do DLC. So, I mean, I would have probably have to say it's that's part of it. It's, you know, it's it's about the money and just making lots of, you know, making lots of dollars to keep the investors happy. But I almost wonder if EA cuz there's a you know, there is a diff, there's Something to be said for your, you know, your big AAA game designers and then the independent game designers. Yeah. From what I understand, usually a lot of your independent game designers, the ones that, you know, don't sell, usually don't sell physical copies, but they sell mainly through like Steam or, uh, you know, the, the iTunes store or the Google Play store. Sometimes they tend to come up with more original games than these big AAA companies do. And I almost wonder if it's because the smaller companies are a little less afraid to take risks where, uh, like I know you mentioned 1313, which was, I believe, supposed to be a, a story based around Boba Fett. It, it wasn't at first. It, w- it was going to be just an underground smuggler slash kind of a crime game to be the underbelly of Coruscant. And then apparently uh, George Lucas said, well, why not have Boba Fett in here? And then, yeah. <laughs> ah, George. <laughs> so, George is awesome. I don't know. He's, you can't deny the impact he's made on popular culture, but uh, I know there's, of course, well, anyone who's had a lot of success is going to have their critics, but I don't know, and I would have to say that's probably my guess is because they want to make, they're more concerned with making truckloads of money than they are with producing a game that, okay, maybe they're not making a million dollars a month off of it. Well, that's probably a bad example. You know, maybe they're not making, you know, a total of 50, 60 million dollars off of that game and then just leave it at that. They want that game that they're going to make that, you know, initial 60 million dollars or whatever and then they can keep making money 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 after that so i don't know i think it's just the whole corporate mentality where you probably have a lot of people in charge that they just see they don't really appreciate video games and i could be wrong on this but 
it wouldn't surprise me if some of those, you know, CEOs and, you know, the business side of things, they don't, they only see video games as a mean to make money. They don't see it as an art form, as a storytelling form, as, you know, storytelling platform, as, you know, a fun diversion. It's, again, it's all about the Benjamins for them. Yeah, that's very true because, you know, it's 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 almost proven. You know, it's uh, what did Activision say they they made X billion of do- billions of dollars off loot boxes and and whatnot just in microtransactions and everything. Uh, I forget was it 2016? I think or it was either 2016 or 2017. I mean, you can't deny, you know, that that would. It just like I said, it just makes me wonder. But you can still get that money and still release games at the same time. Just because something won't make you the amount of money, you know what I mean, that a loot box mm-hmm. slash, you know, microtransaction filled gem would, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean it won't make money. So why not still release it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, they probably, again, and I'm probably stereotyping, I might be wrong on this. And again, I admit that. It just might be the corporate mentality where they're like, well, okay, we still have to spend money to release it, and it's not going to continue to make us lots of money, so might as well just cut our losses now. And they don't care about the fans and what they think. Again, you again, just to go back to that 1313 game, they could have deprived of us, us of a really, really good Star Wars game. Maybe it's not the Star Wars game we're used to with, you know, the Jedi and, uh, and you know, delusions of grandeur and space opera and stuff like that. But even if you take away the Star Wars elements, it could have still been a really good game. So, I don't know. That's probably, that would be my best guess, so. Yeah. yeah you know, and we can never really know, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things. You know, or you would think that the least they would do is they would reskin it and still release it as something else. Because I know that is something that has happened. Uh, probably the best example I can think of that is, are you familiar with an old NES game called Journey to Silius? Mm, doesn't sound familiar. It's a basic side-scrolling run-and-gun type game. Not a bad game. Nothing special, but it had a really good music score, and, you know, it was along that NES hard line, but that is an example of what I mean when I say a game that all they have to do is reskin it, because that particular game originally started out as a Terminator game. If you look at the style of the, you know, the artwork and the, you know, just the background design and the mood that the game invokes, I can honestly see it working as a Terminator game. But then Sunsoft lost their license to the Terminator franchise. So while they figured, well, we have this game, you know, we've, uh, you know, put some work into it. So while we'll just change around some sprites and give it a different name and a different story. And now we've got Journey to Silius. And like I said, it turned out to be a pretty good game. Uh, Another game, which this is just a rumor, but again, I think it makes sense. Willow for the NES. Uh, now, I think I may have asked this before, but have you ever played Willow? Yeah. And you know how it has very, very little to do with the actual movie and how there's just a lot of other stuff that you do that's never touched on in the movie? Yeah. 
So one of the, the rumors I've heard out there is that Capcom may have originally been developing that as a totally different game. But then they got the license to Willow, and then they, you know, again, they've changed the main character to Willow, and they made some plot changes, and now we've got a game based on Willow. Which is not a fault, because it's still a really good, really fun game. Yeah, I I did enjoy that game, definitely. And it's weird to think how different games could just be, you know, shoveled into you know, a license, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. you wouldn't even know it. You know what I mean? They just have to change some text, change some baselines of that, and then all of a sudden, yep, now we have this. Yeah, and and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, I mean, another good example I can think of where you just reskin a game, uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, which, you know, was the basically the Americanized version of Doki Doki Panic. So, yeah, and I'm sure there's, you know, other examples out there, but well, I don't think we've ans- fully answered the question of why does EA not want to take our money? And uh, well, they do want to take our money, but why do they feel like they have to, you know, why does every single game have to make, you know, billions and billions of dollars? You know, why can't they just be, you know, happy with making a, a single-player experience, that's a really, really fun game. So I don't know if we'll ever truly answer that question because we're not video game company CEOs. Nope. Uh, well, I, I would like to be. I don't. I forget how much uh, Billy Kotek and uh, the people over at uh, EA make, but, you know, I wouldn't mind that money any, t- any day of the week. The um, correct answer is they make more money than both of us combined and multiplied by a large number. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And uh, do you have any closing thoughts today, Wayne? Nope. Just looking forward. uh, New trailers dropped for Kingdom Hearts 3. So looking uh, more forward to that every day. That uh, game, I should have asked you, what do you think about um, Outer Worlds? Did you see that one by... uh, obsidian that's going to be coming out i haven't seen that one no yeah if you get a chance look for uh i believe it's called outer worlds and look at the trailer it look it's uh made by obsidian and the former creators of the fallout series Hmm. and it looks like that might be pretty interesting there yeah i'll have to uh, check that out sometime so well thanks again for listening everybody and hopefully 2018 has been a not just a good year for video games for you, but hopefully it's just been a great year for you in general. And here's hoping that 2019 is not only going to be a a good year for video games, but hopefully it'll be hopefully 2019 will treat you right. So we'll talk to you next time and keep on gaming. Check out the guys over at Eclectic Media Project. They bring you podcasts such as Musically Challenged. Whose podcast is it anyway? Want to hear something interesting? And their newest podcast, page 3.14 News. Check them out on Podbean and iTunes at Eclectic Media Project. On their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone.
You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.